Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. If you're wondering where we've been all day, we're hanging out over at the Crypto Gathering. If you want to join us, it's free. Just register at realvision.com slash crypto gathering. And much of the talk on day one was about the impact of the Bitcoin ETFs. In case you missed it, nine ETFs launched with BlackRock and Fidelity among the most popular. Both topped $1 billion of inflows within five days, and they're the only two funds across the ETF universe to attract more than $3 billion in their first 20 days, according to Bloomberg. As the money's flowed in, so have your questions. Many of you have asked, is now the time to invest? And if so, where do I start? Others who already own some crypto want to know, what do I need to understand about asset correlation? And what about other coins like ETH and Solana? To answer some of that, we are sharing a conversation originally reserved for our pro crypto tier with Ash Bennington and Martin Berger. Enjoy. Welcome back to Real Vision Pro Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Martin Bucher, Chief Client Officer at Signum Bank. Martin, welcome to Real Vision. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. First time on the show, Martin. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Signum. We're going to talk a lot uh, about the broader sentiment, all the things that are happening in crypto. But first, tee us off. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Cool. Thank you. Well, my name is Martin Burke. I'm the Chief Client Officer of Signum Bank. Signum uh, is the world's first digital asset bank. Um, and meanwhile, we merged into a, a global digital asset banking and technology group. And our mission is to empower everyone everywhere to own crypto with complete trust. Now, our journey started actually already back in 2018, 19, I think very early to actually provide something regulated. And back then, people thought that uh, we lost our minds when we said we want to build a bank which offers crypto because it was a largely unregulated space. But meanwhile, I think times have uh, changed and uh, we are very successful in what we are doing. And I think the future is even brighter than the, the last five years. So talking about where we are right now in this bright future, you guys recently commissioned a report uh, in Q4 2023 to get the state of play in the digital asset space. What did you find? What's the outlook? How are you guys seeing things? Yes, thank you. Um, so we, we, we conducted the survey with our, within our client base. Um, and I think we saw that the people, they are have a very positive outlook on crypto. Um, interestingly enough, I think we, we saw that um, they are short term, not as positive as, let's say, within a year's time frame. Uh, so interestingly enough, we conducted the survey uh, end of Q3. 
And I think it's, it pretty much reflects the sentiment at that time, right? The ETFs were not yet approved. Uh, everyone was probably looking at what is happening with these ETFs. Will they happen? Um, but uh, the market sentiment back then was not yet that positive. And this is also why many um, of the people uh, participating in the survey, they said they want to increase the crypto exposure, but not necessarily within the next three or six months, but rather within the next 12 months. And I think now we see actually that many of them had quite a, a, well, a sweet timing. I mean, maybe now we saw the first upswing of this, of this new uh, super cycle. Um, and, and many of them, they probably started to slowly allocate capital, but we see that actually many of them, they probably only uh, targeted to deploy more capital into the space now or then also now in, in end of Q1, beginning of uh, Q2. So tell us a little bit about the demography of the sample uh, and what that tells you about the potential framework that they're seeing this through. Well, so the in terms of um, the demography, I think it it, uh, it, it um, included actually many many different kind of of investors. So uh, younger ones, uh, private individuals, high net worth individuals, but also more institutional uh, clients. So it's quite a broad scope of of the survey. Um, but I think what we can see and also reflected in this chart is actually that we see that there is a difference between people who already hold assets. So many of them, they plan only to incrementally increase exposure and people who do not yet hold crypto assets. And we see that actually there, really a vast majority of them, they plan to allocate new capital or initial capital into the crypto space within the next six to six months to, to two years. I think this is, this is really what we could see that the people who are already exposed, they continue to be bullish. But the people who are not yet in the space, they are probably they they see even more need to increase now the allocation within the next six to twelve months. Uh, so we should say, if we didn't mention it already at the top of the show, uh, Signum is based in Switzerland. Is this a Swiss investor group? Is this uh, more of an investor base more broadly throughout Europe, or are you global in that sense in terms of the data from this survey? Yes. So yes, we are based in in Switzerland and Singapore. So we are dual headquarters. But this survey included basically um, people globally. Singapore is serving clients in more than 60 different countries. So it was quite a global scope that we covered with this survey. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the context for this, this notion uh, that you saw some potential shorter term hesitancy with longer term uh, bullishness on the space. Does that suggest to you uh, something about what the framework is or the perspective that these investors have as they look out across broader time horizons for the adoption curve on crypto and digital assets. Yes. So, well, I think in 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 my view, I think it it a is a reflection of that people really believe that, especially as institutional investors, that crypto deserves an allocation within an institutional uh, asset allocation. However, I think it also reflects that the people were thinking it's probably a few more things need to happen so that they really can start deploying capital into the crypto strategy or into the crypto bucket. Um, so I think this is, was really in anticipation, for example, of these ETFs, also of the Bitcoin halving. Um, also, um, I think a lot about regulatory certainty, which is about uh, to get much more clear in the next couple of, of months and years, for example, with, with the Mika in Europe and, and other uh, crypto related regulations coming into force. And I think 
this is what they have on the roadmap. They say, we want to deploy capital, also we want to deploy big institutional capital, but probably a few things they first need to be checked. I think with the ETF, which in my view was really a handshake between the Wall Street and the, the, the crypto space, I think one of these uh, boxes was ticked. Um, and, and I think this is now also why we see a lot of this money, which was waiting on the sidelines, is actually now uh, flowing into the space and, and is already driving driving the prices. Yeah, I should say we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we got on air today, uh, how there was this kind of uh, buy the rumors, sell the news effect, and now this rebound. By the way, I should say we're trading right now on Bitcoin, 49,757 on my screen. We might get to 50,000 during this conversation. Hey, Martin, oh, let me ask oh. you something about this idea of the uh, handshake. One of my friends over the weekend was was kind of teasing me a bit, poking me a little, saying, hey, how do you feel about this, man? It looks like Bitcoin's just trading, uh, you know, it's trading with the NASDAQ. Correlations go to one. My response was kind of like, well, you know, if that happens in the short term, like, who cares? I'm not sure that that has a, a real uh, sort of fundamental basis. Look, assets uh, correlations trade on and off over time. Uh, you see that bounce around. But I'm kind of curious, Martin, just to get a a sense of how you guys, and we'll start with Bitcoin, we'll talk about some of the other ecosystems as well. But I want to get a sense of how you think about Bitcoin more broadly. Um, is this something that is something that you guys think about? Uh, and it's interesting, of course, to just have someone on uh, with a Swiss background. Is this something that you see as kind of a, a digital gold off the grid asset, a hedge against central bank uh, monetization, uh, or other types of uh, intervention in the money supply? Talk a little bit about how you see this in terms of the 50,000 foot macro view for Bitcoin? Yes. Well, uh, so, I, I mean, definitely, I mean, Bitcoin is by far the biggest digital asset, and it, it, I think it deserves a lot of space within a crypto allocation. Now, if we look at our client base, I think people, they have very different views on why they want to hold Bitcoin. I think some of them, they really have this macro uh, view where they say, we have uh, high inflations, we have um, monetary post policy, which is quite loose. So with this inflation, I think it's good to have a scarce asset like Bitcoin. Um, others, they see it really as a, as a tail hedge where they say it could be a, a mean of exchanging value for a really tail event. Uh, let's say if, if for example, the, the, the banking system would, would not work as seamlessly as it typically does. Um, right. Others, they really they they perceive it as this digital gold, um, and 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 this is the main purpose why 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 they believe in it. So I think many people have different reasons why to hold Bitcoin, but I think all our institutional clients they see a reason why they want to hold Bitcoin. So I think there are hardly any institutional clients who access the space and say we don't want to have a Bitcoin allocation and, for example, only go into uh, an Ethereum, Solana, or, or Layer 2s. They also invest into these assets, but Bitcoin is always part of it. Now, the correlation with, with NASDAQ, we also actually looked at this from a quantitative perspective. And we see that there are, of course, time where there is, in general, a risk-on environment um, where the markets are quite bullish. Um, and and uh, we saw this, for example, um, back in, in uh, 2020, 2021, I think when it started, it was also quite a bullish sentiment. And this was then fueling in initially the rally of NASDAQ and, and also Bitcoin. And I think the, the opposite happened um, with the tightening of the uh, with, with the tightening of the monetary policies um, beginning of uh, 2022, that there was a general risk off. And, and then we saw some short-term correlation between equities 
and Bitcoin. But I mean, I would answer probably the same that you answered. I mean, it's it's a it's it's short-term correlation. We see long-term correlation between Bitcoin and, of course, equities or or the Nasdaq is is not high, and I also don't expect this correlation to to become much higher now in the in the near future. Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the cases. I am one of the reasons why investors seem to be interested in this is this idea of getting non-correlated returns. But let me jump into something that you touched on uh, in your remarks there, which is the view of institutional investors. I'm wondering, uh, Martin, if you've seen uh, any dissonance uh, or perhaps differentiation in between institutional investors versus retail investors in your survey. Tell us a little bit about what you're hearing on the institutional side uh, and what makes those investors see this space differently if they do. Well. I think in general, um, we see that high net worth individuals or private individuals, they are probably more driven by emotions than really institutional investors, um, which is also, of course, related to the investment process, um, which is very different from an institutional player than from a, an individual, right? If an individual wants to buy Bitcoin, this Bitcoin is bought now. And an institution has, of course, a certain investment governance. There is a process behind. You need to make sure that Bitcoin is something real and worth investing. So I would say in general, we see that the private individuals, they are much more sensitive to short-term volatility, whereas the institutionals, if they do an allocation, they do this typically for, for a longer term. Um, they, they, they don't have weekends. So when they put money into, for example, Bitcoin, they also hold on to it because they typically they look in at, at these for for a, a very long time frame. And I think this is a, a big difference that we see um, from the behavior that um, when the markets pick up, we see first, the first we see the flows from the private clients coming, and then later on we see follow-on investments from the institutional clients, but on the opposite, when, when the prices are uh, coming down, then we also see that the private clients, they sell much earlier than the institutional clients, so they they then hold on to these assets because they also, I mean, they have deep pockets. They don't get nervous if they have a drawdown of 50%. And this is definitely something that we can see that there is a different behavior between institutionals and private clients within our, our client base. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Rao Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden, and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash super AI for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION or click below. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? Good news and bad news. First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. The good news, there's a better alternative. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, cash flow, net worth, and more. Plus, create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, listeners for this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com vision. 
Monarch also has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all your finances. After reading reviews, you can understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get a 30-day extended free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com vision. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash vision for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com vision. Yeah, and just to be blunt, 50% drawdowns are something we see in this space a fair amount. Even in Bitcoin, uh, max drawdowns have been uh, declining relative to the uh, to kind of the zero line, meaning they've been rising, meaning improving, uh, but still significant, significant drawdowns from peak. Just the nature of the space. Yes, exactly. I think this is something that you need to you need to live with if you want to invest in this space. And I think this is also something that probably a few institutional players they need to get used to that, right? Because of course, if you're an investment manager and you lost 50% of your equity portfolio, then everyone looks at you that you didn't do a proper risk management. Um, if, if you lose 50% on a crypto allocation, this, I think, yes, it's, it's, it's a risk that you need to be willing to take in order then also to have, of course, um, superior returns within this asset class compared to, to equities. But definitely, it's something that I think you need to be willing to take this risk if you want to right. benefit from the upside. Martin, let's talk about some of the more secular factors at play. Uh, in Bitcoin specifically, and we can move on to some other ecosystems as well. I uh, talk about where you see Bitcoin in 2024 uh, with regard to the having, with regard to other secular drivers of price action. How do you think about it? Well, I mean, this is a, a very personal view. I think in 2023, many people were debating, is it, is it now still winter? Do we see the beams of spring? I would now say we've what we've seen over the last two months that I think spring has started, but I would also definitely say the summer is not yet here, N- not, not by far. Um, so if I sense now the, the overall bullishness, I think people, they, they lost the negativity that they were associating with the crypto space, but they are not yet very, very bullish on this, on this, on this sector. Um, now, with regards to Bitcoin, I think that we start into this rally at the 50,000 level is, of course, very, very positive because, well, this um, uh, lets me hope that we see uh, very good price levels later this year because I think many drivers are are ahead of us. Um, Number one, I think the halving. Of course, the the halving is um, mathematically, of course, the, the impact is smaller with every halving because actually the amount of incremental Bitcoin's mind, of course, deteriorates with every halving. Um, so from this point of view, the impact is not as big as from the last halving or the halving before. But I think psychologically, it has a halving because I think people, they also always associate the halving that, that it marks a, a, another the start of another bull cycle. Now we just crossed the, 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 the 50,000 mark. Um, then, of course, we have other factors. Um, one of them I mean, definitely the general sentiment in the markets when it comes to the interest rate environment. I mean, definitely we saw that the, the prices they were suffering in 2022, 2023, um, because um, the, the, these interest rate hikes, they may now come to an end, we will see. Um, but if we would see there the monetary policy actually um, uh, loosening a, a little bit, I think this would definitely fuel risk assets and, and Bitcoin would probably benefit 
uh, over proportional from that. And then let's also not forget um, it's an election year. Um, typically election years, they are quite bullish uh, for, well, for equities, but also for cryptocurrencies. And um, I think all in all, yes, we have a quite an attractive uh, risk reward profile with, with Bitcoin right now. And then I think what we also see is that new money coming into the space. And I would say the ETF approval was, of course, an, an, an enabler, or let's say lowered the barrier for institutional players to access this space. And what we always saw, and what we will definitely also see in this cycle is people access this space through Bitcoin. So new institutions entering the space, the first allocation will be Bitcoin. Um, for well, a technical reasons because some then also want to trade crypto against crypto, but also because simply Bitcoin is by far the most well-known asset. So typically, the rally is fueled by Bitcoin, and then other ecosystems they benefit then later on through the rally. Martin, we just got a print of fifty thousand on Bitcoin while you were laying out uh, some of the bullish case there. Uh, let me ask you this: Do you have a base case or a price target for twenty twenty four? We don't have we don't have a price target. I think um, history tells us that it's, it's it's very difficult to have a price target. But we are of course as a crypto bank we are positive on the digital asset space as such. And there you go. There's the chart: Bitcoin crossing fifty thousand. Uh, okay, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about what you see happening in the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, which has uh, been lagging obviously Bitcoin uh, here for some time. Interesting sort of cycle shift there in terms of the relative performance of those two assets. How do you think about what's happening in the Ethereum ecosystem? Well, I mean, the Ethereum ecosystem is still by far the largest ecosystem. So I think in general, many positive things are happening there. But as you rightfully outlined, so far it, it underperformed Bitcoin quite a bit. I think this is one observation that it's lagging, which is also not something new, right? We saw, I think, the same at the um, in the in the in the last uh, bull cycle, we saw that also the, the rally was fueled by Bitcoin, and then suddenly Ethereum picked up. We saw actually a similar move happening um, after ETFs were approved, and I think we saw a sudden spike in Ethereum. Yes, we see here nicely on the chart. I think around this eighth uh, of January, suddenly we we, we then gained like uh, three hundred dollars in Ethereum, um, because I think this, of course, this uh, this ETF uh, approval simply attracted all the market liquidity in crypto was consolidating in Bitcoin. Um, now, I think what we what we see is, of course, still these ETFs, they, they, they soak up quite a bit of liquidity. A lot of liquidity is going into Bitcoin. But on Ethereum, we see, I think, fundamentally still a lot of uh, development activities going on. Um, but I think what we so far were missing is like a spark, right? Um, a spark like we had, for example, on Solana with certain airdrops, which then also fueled um, these, these, a lot of, of TVL growth and, and the likes. And in Ethereum, we didn't have this, this spark. I think the last uh, big spark that we've seen um, was, was basically the merge. Um, but, but since then, there was no big spark. But now, if you look into this ecosystem, then I think, for example, if you look at the TVL growth on, on many layer twos, um, that's... I think very, very, very promising. Um, then um, we see that um, uh, well, there, there should be scalability upgrades within the Ethereum ecosystem, which makes this layer two much more cost efficient. Then I think there is 
well, there are rumors about uh, potential CK sync airdrops, which, um, well, uh, based on my understanding, is one of the most promising uh, zero knowledge proof uh, scaling uh, solutions. And I think can, one can of talk a little events, bit about that about those scaling solutions, zero knowledge proofs. How do you guys think about that? Are you talking about uh, this idea that Ethereum is the largest ecosystem? I'm assuming you're talking about the smart contract ecosystem. Uh, talk a little bit about what the, the case that you guys have uh, in terms of ultimate end user adoption, uh, where you see the scaling solution question uh, and some of those relative merits between ETH and Solana. Well, uh, I, mean, I mean, interesting enough, I mean, we, we now all know that um, the, the the scaling will probably not happen on the the Ethereum layer, but the scaling will happen on on these 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 layer tools. Um, so so I think th this has been decided. Now the question is, of course, which of these layer two is is uh, making the race? And yes, is it a layer two solution based on Ethereum, or is it uh, a, an alternative blockchain solution like like Solana, or is it both? Now, right. Um, I think the, the 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 scaling solutions. I, I think. We see that, of course, in terms of uh, bridging and, and, and in terms of user experience, if you used Ethereum before, it's, of course, very convenient because you can use the same wallet, same addresses. And, and this has many benefits compared to a, a completely new uh, blockchain. But on the other hand, of course, this also comes with certain downsides. So if you didn't like the user experience with Ethereum, you will also not like the user experience with the, the scaling solutions because it's, it's very similar. Um, so. Right. I think in general, we see that the scaling solutions, I think we, we consider them to be uh, very promising. We also run certain of our uh, technology stack on, on, on scaling solutions because simply, yes, it's, it's more cost efficient and actually um, that, uh, we, we've, we've close to zero incremental risk. So we, so we believe there is a bright future um, in, in these layer tools, but we would now not say that we think that a layer two uh, scaling solution is superior, for example, compared to a Solana or a Cardano or the likes. I think there, we simply need to see which ecosystem is able to attract a lot of development activity. I think this is always, there needs to be something happening on the chain, otherwise there is no value. Um, and and uh, there we still see that on Ethereum, there is a lot, a lot of activity. Yes, Solana activity, of course, picked up significantly, but Maybe there, there is also another ecosystem suddenly attracting this liquidity and this uh, development activity and then overtaking all of the ones that uh, I now mentioned. So hey, let me ask you this. Interesting. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I have two dogs, B and G, and we call them the Beastie Girls. They are so naughty, so mischievous but we absolutely adore them. They complete our family, and we just can't imagine our home without them. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same. Your pet is a one of a kind, and so is their journey. While every playful moment is a memory in the making, sometimes our cats and dogs are a little too good at getting into trouble. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 6,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. 
Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash RealVision. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash RealVision. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Martin, do you see this as kind of a a winner-take-all battle, or do you see this as an ecosystem that could be differentiated, different use cases, potentially uh, different ecosystems, different coins serving those use cases? Or is this something that you see ultimately coming to a more of a convergence, winner-take-all type of situation? Um, I, I, I don't believe that it's a, a, a winner-takes-it-all. Um, however, I think there are certain kind of use cases. Let's say, for example, we take, for example, DeFi. Um, I think there are benefits if the a DeFi ecosystem is, is quite concentrated because, you know, you have now... Uh, of course, you have these, these AMMs, you have these certain lending pools. Now we see more and more derivatives, right? Many of many now, many protocols uh, that they, they develop derivatives, whether it's like swaps, whether it's like uh, uh, futures, perps, and the likes. And of course, all these uh, like more advanced derivatives, for example, which are built on chain derivatives, they, of course, they benefit from all these DeFi ecosystem which already exists. So I think the more DeFi applications already exist, the more advanced stuff you can do then also with, with, with on-chain derivatives and, and the likes. But of course we have, besides for example, DeFi, which probably will be two, three winners, which will um, then concentrate most of the TVL in, in, in DeFi. Um, there are of course other use cases um, like NFTs, metaverse, gaming, um, which, which is, of course, very different and may attract similar ecosystems like this DeFi ecosystem that I outlined, where simply certain components will be built on these blockchains. And then these components make this ecosystem even more attractive. And this can then lead to this winner takes it all, but for a certain kind of use case. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit more about DeFi. Obviously, something uh, that someone who's been involved in traditional finance is interested in. Talk a little bit about how you see DeFi developing. Uh, particularly interesting uh, to have it someone from uh, the Swiss jurisdiction, obviously, where there's been a little bit more uh, in terms of legal regulatory framework around this. How do you see the DeFi ecosystem evolving? Well, as, as I said, uh, I think, the, of course, we see the derivative space is definitely something where, where we see a lot of action happening. And I'm also very bullish. I think we will also see that certain DeFi will, will more and more integrate uh, TradFi. Um, so we will see, for example, we see with on-chain real-world assets, I think then on-chain real-world assets, they will probably bring uh, interest rate uh, swaps on-chain and the likes. And I think these are use cases where I'm super, super bullish on. If looking at the technology, I think, for example, for derivatives, I mean, the, the, the blockchain technology is really... Uh, superior technology to to tech to to like settle and and trade these kind of derivatives compared to the traditional uh, infrastructure so this makes me super super bullish however you outlined it i think there is one big unknown factor in this equation and this is the 
the global regulation because I think right. if we want to see um, like the, the billions of, for example, uh, interest rate swaps coming on chain, then there needs to be a certain level of regulatory certainty because I think there is a scenario where also large financial institutions, they use this kind of DeFi infrastructure to exchange collateral, to manage risks, to settle transactions. But in order for this to happen, there is probably still some regulatory clarity which, which is needed and which is today not yet there. And then, of course, the challenge is, yes, you refer to Switzerland. Of course, you can have a regulatory certainty in a, in a particular jurisdiction, but the beauty and the beast of uh, the blockchain technology is, of course, that it's global. So if you want to exchange them collateral globally, you may, of course, be subject to different regulations globally. So even if you are a Swiss-based project where you have regulatory certainty or you are a, a US project and you have regulatory certainty, then you don't know how these may be perceived in a different jurisdiction. But right. looking at the, the potential of the blockchain technology and the use case of DeFi, I think this is one of the sectors where I'm well, particularly uh, bullish on now for the next uh, uh, bull, bull cycle. That was Ash and Martin there. Coming up right now, live at the crypto gathering, is a conversation with Jamie Coots and Ash Bennington talking about the crypto macro framework. Friday, we've got another great lineup, including Raul talking about the intersection of macro and NFTs. We've got Beeple. We're talking art and generative AI with Arsonic and others. It's going to be a great lineup and a lot of fun. It's free. Just register at realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. We hope to see you there. Take care and good luck out there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.